Hey, Sales Lift audience, it's Tyler Lindley, your host here. Today, I have Rachel May on the show. It's, uh, Rachel is a sales gal uh, who works with Keenan and a sales guy, uh, also known for Gap Selling. So uh, welcome to the show, Rachel, how you doing? I am fantastic, Tyler, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So to start, I'd love to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Well, I work with Keenan over to Sales Guy, and we help organizations, you know, level up their sales team, um, implement problem-centric selling into their sales process, so that they can win more deals at at higher average sales price. Awesome! Very cool! Very cool! Are, are you are you in sales there? Do you do sales uh, for a sales organization? Is that your yes, role there? I am literally the sales gal, like the <laughs> only one. <laughs> awesome! I love so, it. I yeah, love it. So I'm that's I'm selling all day long. Okay, cool. And who do you typically sell to? Who are, who are you talking to on a regular basis? Typically, we're working with either sales enablement or like VP of sales, CRO. Those are usually the folks that we're working with to you know, try to find out where their challenges are within the sales process and see if we can help. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So did you get trained on gap selling? Was that kind of the first step in your onboarding process in the company or what, how did you, <laughs> how did you learn, how did you learn, you know, that the right sales techniques for your role? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Actually, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Keenan and Gap Selling. Long before I came here, I read the book. Actually, before the book came out, oh. Keenan had asked to for people to like read the manuscript and give some edits or something like that. And so, so I read it. I was in sales enablement at the time, so oh. I was a sales trainer at the time, and I was teaching a lot of stuff that was really in line with challenger sale and still having um, challenges around like getting the salespeople to efficiency quickly Mm. and getting them to be more buyer centric in the process. And so when I read the book, I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Um, This is like, and, and the way that it was presented, I was like, this is how I should have been presenting that information all this time. And I started using it and trying to teach it um, within my own organization and so well, even though I wasn't really doing it correctly, completely, Mm -hmm. I figured out later, (laughs) but it worked so well that I just kind of like picked up my shit and joined the circus. Like Mm. I literally just (laughs) like, I have to go work for the guy who wrote this book because it was just everything that salespeople deserve and need. And I wanted to be a part of it. Mm. Um, and then when I got here, I thought it was like really awesome, a really great salesperson. And I quickly learned <laughs> that I was as great as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, have you watched like those Gap Cell Keenan lives? Have you seen those on LinkedIn? Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. Yeah, so You're like some poor unfortunate soul volunteers to sell Keenan. <laughs> was that was that you initially? Were you were you one of the poor unfortunate souls? Or <laughs> I was I was not. I did, however, use selling within my when I was going through the interview process. I knew that I had to use gap selling to demonstrate that I could mm. during the process. But but no, so I mean, but that's my life every day. So mm. you know, we have all of our calls recorded. Mm. Um, uh, through ExecVision. And so Keenan jumps on those calls and provides coaching to me on every, every single meeting that I have. So, yeah. 
I continue to get better, but it's been an interesting road. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. Definitely. Which, you know, I don't, I don't know if all of our audience is familiar with gap selling. Uh, could you give them a high level overview of what, what does gap selling mean? Why did Keenan write that book? And, and what are some of the key ideas around gap selling? Well, some of those might be Keenan questions, but I think at the heart of gap selling, it's, it's, versus today what we do or what most people do is product centric selling. They mm-hmm. lead with the product, right? They're, they're like, if you had, and they kind of sell in future state. If you had this wonderful product, HubSpot, whatever it is, right? You would be able to do X, Y, Z better. Mm-hmm. And all these things would be better because you have my product. And let me just show it to you. Let me show you a demo and all these great <laughs> features of the product. And then you're just going to want it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of pitching. There's a lot of like, Oh, I got to close the deal, all this sort of thing. So it creates a lot of friction in the sales process. And essentially it's that type of selling is all about you. It's about the salesperson and it's about their company. So if you are switching to a gap selling model, what you're doing is you're putting your buyer right in the middle, your sales process, and you are problem centric, Mm -hmm. which means that you are, your whole goal in discovery is to uncover what business problems they are currently experiencing and think about like where your root, where your the, whatever you solve, it's usually a process problem, a technical problem, right? You could do this faster, better, easier, mm-hmm. cheaper, whatever it is. It's usually at the root cause of one of those larger business problems. So mm-hmm. in, in gap selling, we really believe that 80% of the sale lives in discovery mm-hmm. and your ability to diagnose business problems and that, that your problem, technical process problem you fix is at the root cause of, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Gotcha. No, that definitely makes sense. So, you know, kind of to to summarize some of what I heard there, it's going from a product centric kind of type of selling to a buyer centric problem centric uh, type of a model where you're kind of putting their buyer, the buyer and their problems at the center. And you're, it sounds like discovery, like you mentioned, is, is the key to that process of understanding and diagnosing that on the front end. So in the doctor patient example, doing all the work of asking the right questions and diagnosing on the front end to then I guess, does that just make the rest of the sales process, you know, kind of fit and and make it natural and seamless if you do discovery really well, Rachel, or? Yeah. I mean, one of the most amazing things that I have found since they've started implementing gap selling sales is that there's no pitch. Hmm. There's no pitch at the end. There's, there's very little talking about your product at all. Generally, when I get through with a discovery, the next question I ask is, okay, well, what questions do you have for me? Because I've literally not talked about us at all. And they go, okay, well, you just, you just laid out all of these problems. I didn't really know I had, or I didn't know I had them to this extent. Mm. How do you fix those problems? Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, that's really all that matters, right? That's all that matters to them. And, but it's finding those problems they didn't know they had, or they did not know were impacting them to such a great extent that starts that diagnosis is where your credibility lies. And that's why they want to hear. That's when they want to hear what you can do for them. Once you've established that credibility and discovery and help them define something that they didn't really see before. 
Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. And it sounds like establishing that credibility then lends itself naturally to the next steps after discovery. So yeah, yeah. it eliminates that friction at the end. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So you're not having to pitch or ask or, or be salesy, if you will, it just becomes a natural next step to solving those problems. So Absolutely. Awesome. I love it. So you have an interesting perspective. It sounds like you've been in sales training. You're now sell sales training sales uh, kind of now. So uh, I'd love to hear kind of this idea of sales enablement. You know, this podcast is about sales enablement. And I like to ask everybody kind of what does sales enablement mean to you, Rachel? What does that word mean in, in, in the context of what you do and in your background? Like what is sales enablement to you? You know, sales enablement is like kind of a loaded word, I think, because it's, it's like this giant bucket that everyone's just like thrown a bunch of shit into. <laughs> can we, can we cut, can we curse? Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah PG 13. You're good. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. But it is, you just kind of thrown a but So, so you have like learning and development in there and then you've got marketing in there and then you got your tech stack, your measurement pieces in there. you got, you know, sales training, you got all these different buckets. But for me, the most important part of sales enablement, number one is that, is that through sales enablement, you've created a common view and common language of the customer throughout every step of the sales cycle across the entire revenue engine. Mm -hmm. And it's sales enablement's job to put that, to put that shared the customer and that common language to execution in the areas of people, process, strategy, structure. Mm -hmm. Right. And so sales enablement is really that, that, execution piece of where that shared view of the customer kind of execution, right. right? It's where it comes alive. Right. Yeah. I love that idea of the common view and common language. Cause I think sometimes that gets missed, uh, especially as you talk about the different parts of your All revenue. Yeah. All, All the, the time, time you get marketing is calling them marketing's calling one thing and this is their idea of the, of the target audience. And then sales has whatever they hear on the phone and, and their idea and then customer success or support. They're just, you know, whatever they get at the end of the, at the end of the line. The victim of whatever right. bad shit happened. Right. Like they got that account. That's right. Customer right. They, they are the inheritors of all of the, anything all that's missed in all the of problems. Everything that was wrong before them. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> but I love that idea of a common view and a common language because I think so many times is that's the starting point. That is where if, if an organization is missing that in kind of this ideal customer profile or just what words do we use? How do we describe ourselves? How do we describe our, our audience and who we're, who we're targeting? I think if that's... More importantly, how does the audience we're targeting describe themselves? Mm, more yeah. importantly. Talk more about yes. that. Yeah, because I'd love to... Yeah, yeah that makes I mean, a lot of sense. That's the common language, right? It, it, the language can't be your language, right? You don't go learn French by a bunch of people who only speak English, <laughs> right? So you have to figure out what that language is of the customer and start there. How do they describe their problems? Hmm. How do they describe the way it's impacting them? Steal the words right out of their mouth. And that is really what the language should become at all stages of the sales cycle. But going back to, you know, when you, this idea of product centric versus problem centric selling, mm -hmm. if your marketing is product, 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 Right. And then when those leads get to um, the salesperson, the now that buyer is already focused on, OK, we're going to have a product conversation. Right. Let me, let me see a demo mm -hmm. it's because you made it all about the demo. Yep. 
you made it all about the demo before they ever got to you because you told them on their website and all of the marketing that it's all about just let me show you these shiny objects. And so you create that expectation. Mm-hmm. Sales then gets that lead and they and the, and the client's already like, oh, I want HubSpot because of XYZ, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I these these two features that I don't have now that I don't, I, I need HubSpot for this. But maybe that's not why they need HubSpot at all. Or maybe those aren't the two features that actually address like this mm. huge business problem for them. And so, but because marketing was product centric, the lead comes in product centric, the salesperson then attacks the, whatever's on that lead form. Oh, you want these two features. Why do you want these two features? Mm -hmm. Oh, because of X, Y, Z, let me show them to you. (laughs) And now I'm going to show you these features, right? Then on the back end of that customer, if they do sign that deal, customer success, customer success it now, and there's not full adoption of the platform, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And they're not going to use all of the other features because they don't know why they're important or why they're, they're going to be a business impact Mm-hmm. Uh, win for them, and then you have cancellations or lack of growth on on the back end of that. So mm-hmm. that shared view of the customer is really everything I think in sales enablement. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 funny. I've never thought of it that way, but truly, if you do have pro- if you're product centric on the front end, the buyer then you've now set the expectation for the entire process to be product centric. Uh, and I think exactly. so many companies are product centric, especially from start to finish that that is it's it's no it's no wonder that there's not that buyer centric problem first kind of conversation happening because how can mm-hmm. it happen if i'm if i'm clicking demo request and then you know i come on and i want to see these three things in a demo there's not an opportunity to really do a lot of exploring and discovery there because you know here's what you said you would give me now cuz i've been on the phone before where it's a demo request call and it's literally this is what I want to see. I don't want to, I don't, yeah. don't waste my time with these questions. Like I'm here to see this. Can you show it to me? And the, and people get confrontational. So uh, you're kind of creating this atmosphere of, well, give me what you said you would from the start. And as a sales right. rep, you either fall in line or, you know, try to try to kind of buck the trend, but sometimes you can get, uh, get yelled at for doing that. So it's interesting. Listen, sometimes you can get yelled at for a lot of things in sales, but I think, you know, uh, when I, and I get that as well, people just want pricing. Yep. They just want me to, what, what's your training? What's the pricing? Let me know. Number one, typically that is somebody within the middle of the organization who has been tasked to go mm-hmm. find three different yep. ways, to, people who can solve this problem, get pricing and a little bit of information, send it up the line to, you know, whoever signs the checks. Mm-hmm. And so that's one piece of that. But when that happens to me, I will tell you that I emphatically own my process. And I think that's really important for salespeople. So I, I say, look, I understand that probably everyone you're meeting with right now is showing you a demo or yep. giving you a pitch or p- putting some slides up. And I just want you to know that, that while it's not, what you will normally encounter. Mm -hmm. That's not actually the way that I go about helping my customers because it's really no help for you. So, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you some questions and see where the best way is to help you. Because my goal is that at the end, whether you buy from me or not, this time that we have together has helped you to ensure you make the right decision, no matter what decision you make. And when you tell your clients, that you're going to be different, Mm -hmm. that you're going to, because you're more focused on helping them than selling them something, 
they're going to react in a positive way to that. And if they don't, they probably were not a perspective there for you anyways. Yep, exactly. Right? It'll probably help you weed them out, weed them out early on. So you don't waste time with those folks that probably wouldn't have ended up buying Absolutely. anyways. Yeah. But you can't be a punk. You can't be like, oh, okay, well, they all want to see a demo. So I'm just showing them a demo. Yeah, exactly. You have to own your sales process. Right. Yeah, definitely don't be a doormat. I agree there. But also have a process and have a backbone to tell people that this is the way that, you know, I, I take people through this process because I get positive results when I do that. And and so this is going to be what we're going to do next. And if they won't play ball, then, you know, maybe, maybe let them walk yeah. away, I guess, at that point. I will. They will. Yeah. I mean, I, you probably get that. very few people that give you a ton of resistance there that just say, I'm not interested. You know, I'm, give me the pricing or I'm out of here. I mean, if they say that, do you want to work with someone like that. that? Yeah. Nobody says that. These are things that salespeople convince themselves are going to happen because they're too scared mm. and because they do not feel like they've earned a right mm -hmm. to come to the table in equal partnership with their client. But if you show up knowing your shit and you actually have expertise, and you really can't help solve their business problems, you earn the right before you got on that call yep. to come in equal partnership. And when you really feel like your discovery process is going to help them, then it's much easier to own your process. But if your discovery process is you asking a bunch of questions that give you the information you need to try and sell them, that is not what I'm talking about. And mm. nobody wants to sit through your bullshit discovery. Right, then you might as well just do the demo because you're you're still all about you. Mm -hmm. right. right, right. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. What would you say if I was, you know, a company that's trying to work on their sales training or their sales onboarding? So what what I feel like what you and Keenan come in and help do a lot. What are some? What are you seeing as where do companies get? sales training wrong? Where do they get sales onboarding oh wrong? Uh, obviously, I know you could tell me a thousand things, but what are some of the low hanging, like, what are you seeing as like, this is, this is a problem that I see consistently. And, and this is a way that you could fix that problem. Um, in terms of how they onboard their sales team or how they train their sales team, what are you seeing in the marketplace right now? Uh, well, uh, sadly, what I see most is um, that they don't. That it just is non-existent. Um, so <laughs> so that's not a thing. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> what I see most is that if they do have some sort of onboarding, it is very heavy on product, learning the product, learning the product. And then they might have some kind of very, I mean, number one, most sales trainers that you have out there haven't sold since like 1952, hmm. right? Or if they have sold recently, they weren't very good at it. Hmm. And, and so, and that's, I, I think that is a crime. If you are going to have someone training your salespeople, they need to be the best salesperson in your organization. And I know a lot of people do not agree with me of that, but for, as a salesperson myself, I find it offensive. If you put me in a room for someone and they are going there and tell me how to sell and they have not used recently every technique that mm -hmm. they are teaching me to validate that it works in my real life, like, I don't want to sit in your stupid classroom for eight mm. hours. Like, right. I have shit to do. And I think most people, feel, most salespeople uh, feel that way. So I think, number one, they're not doing it at all. And then if they are doing it, the, the person facilitating that training has no street cred. Mm. And the hardest part of training salespeople, it's, this, it's the same thing that's the hardest part of uh, selling. And that is 
getting people to want to change, to understand that they need to change, why they need to change and how they need to change. That's what selling is. That's what training is too. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not able to do that because you don't have the experience yourself, then your training is going to be only applied to newbies. It's only going to apply to rookies and it's not going to apply to anybody with any type of sales chops at all. Hmm. And they're going to feel like that waste of time for them. But the most important thing that I see people missing is they're trying to make their reps experts on their products Mm -hmm. and they are not spending time making people experts on their buyer. Hmm. Right. Whose responsibility do you think that is in the organization to make people experts on their buyer? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. So, but if you were going to start, let's say if you've got a product centric organization right now and that from, from in all of your revenue functions, it's product centric. If I was going to try to make it a more buyer centric process, what's the starting point? What, what would I do first, you know, and, and who might, you know, who might take on that role, at least initially, if it's everyone's responsibility, but you know, essentially one person might have to start the groundswell. Who could Mm -hmm. that person be? And what would they do maybe initially in those first few steps? So, you know, I work with clients who are trying to make this transformation all the time. Many times they have been working towards making this change within their organization for a significant time before they contacted me. Maybe they knew about gap selling. Maybe they did not. Maybe they just understand that they need to change and be more buyer centric, mm-hmm. um, but they haven't necessarily put a process or methodology to that, but they know they need to change and they've been trying to do it. That person in most cases is a VP sales. Mm-hmm. or somebody, you know, or your like director of sales enablement, VP of sales enablement, that sort of person. But you know what? Sometimes it's a sales manager in the middle, like just fighting for their team and their, their company isn't aligned to that sales process. They might not have like the tools um, for that type of sales process, but they just know what's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I guess first I would say you can make change no matter where you are, yep. but, but the people who would drive that change are really those VPs of sales um, and sales enablement. And if I'm in that position, if position is me and it has been, what I do is I, I get marketing. I grab someone, I grab the right person from marketing. Mm-hmm. I grab, you know, my, my, field trainer. Mm-hmm. I grab my VPs of sales. I grab a couple sales managers, right? And you just need to kind of everybody who's responsible for that shared the customer um, needs to get in a room and they need to all agree what that shared view of the customer is. And if it's problem centric, mm-hmm. then I would kind of start by gr- creating a group of collaborators Mm -hmm. and we would figure out how together we were going to drive that transformation forward. Got it. Yeah, no, I like that of getting the, getting the group together and then collaborating and communicating. I feel like sometimes even that's missing is just those different, those different functions communicating. Uh, One thing that we talk a lot about is marketing and sales communicating. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. If you, if you were a marketing leader and let's say that you wanted to try to help your, enable your sales team as much as possible, what do you feel like marketing's role is in, in helping to empower and enable sales teams? Where do they, where do they come into play really? And where can they have a huge impact on empowering sales reps? <laughs> I think that if I, if I ran the world, I would have sales feeding marketing the, 
the shared view of the customer. So I would have sales feeding marketing. This is what my customers say about their problems, the things that they are sharing with me during the sales process and how those are impacting them. This is how they feel about us versus our competitors. Mm -hmm. All of that information, I feel like a lot of times marketing feeds sales that information. Uh, but, But sales is actually the one talking to the customer on a regular basis. So I would like to see that communication go the other way as well. And and then once that communication goes the other way, mm-hmm. I think marketing could do a great, a much greater job at providing those with the collateral that they need mm-hmm. to, to sell the client. Because right. a lot of what marketing provides sales, most salespeople are like, yeah, that's not really helpful to me, hmm. right? Like yep. the, the case studies get too convoluted. Mm-hmm. They're too fancy. They're just too much, too much. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us just want something really simple that we can share with a client or we want like a, I, I need a video that explains this in like three minutes. Yep. Can you just give me that? I need a testimonial. I need you to go get me this summer who had this problem and get him to in plain language, yep. say what happened to him. And so I would love to see sales taking ownership and telling marketing more what they really need instead of just bitching about <laughs> what they're not getting. Right. right. And then I would like to see marketing responding to that and providing collateral that is more buyer focused. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. And it sounds like you're saying you want the teams to collaborate, uh, but also you want it to be more sales driven messaging. It sounds like where sales uh, is is on the boots on the ground. They're, they're having those conversations, you know, let kind of sales dictate a little bit about what they're hearing. And then let's collaborate with marketing on what, what, what materials could you build or create that then helps us, you know, helps us frame these conversations, helps us give us those tools and that messaging that we need to move these deals forward. Is that, is that, kind of what I heard or? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, like I think that there's a lot of ideas in in the sales team about what they could be doing from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, it, right. And, and I don't think that they have the opportunity. A lot of times when salespeople do want to express that or share ideas, they're seen as like complaining or yep. bitching and whining or, you know, stay in your lane. And because of that, marketing is, I mean, a lot of the times, the stuff that they provide the sales team, that's why you have content graveyards and enablement, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we just want to give you more tools, more tools, more tools. And we're going to create all this content for you. And the sales people aren't using it. They aren't accessing it. Mm-hmm. And and then I've sat through a million webinars where it's like, oh, well, we're just going to show them where it is again. They must not know where it is. No, they, <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> Right. They know where it is. It's just garbage. It's not helpful. Right. right? <laughs> just resend them the link. They're just missing. Yeah, they they, just, they didn't get it the first ten times. <laughs> if, we, if we send it an eleventh, they're gonna they're gonna know exactly where it is. So uh, they just don't open marketing emails. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and that's I feel like, but I feel like part of that could be that sales and marketing just don't talk. It's, it's, you know, so it's more butting heads. It's not seen as a collaborative relationship when in fact, it's probably the most collaborative relationship that a sales team needs. Yeah, it It should should be be. in an ideal world. And I think that's part of, and, and I hear that from a lot of folks that I speak with is that, 
you know, in, in organizations that have this right, those groups are talking, they're communicating, they sit in on each other's meetings. I mean, even even a simple step like that, just to understand what does a sales meeting sound like as a as someone in marketing? And what does a marketing meeting sound like as someone in sales? I think that's a great start to seeing, you know, that there is synergy there. There you can you can work together and then you can you can help to make things better for everyone if those two those two groups work better together. So Yeah. And again, like going back to credibility, I think, you know, marketing could earn so much more credibility if they had an intimate knowledge of the buyer and the buyer's world that they Hmm. could share with sales. So I have never really seen marketing as a partner for me as a salesperson. Hmm. I just kind of, in most situations I've ever been in, they make pretty things that, you know, they, that really helped me at all as mm-hmm. a sales, they're pretty, <laughs> but they're not very useful. Right. And it wasn't until I came to a sales guy that, you know, our, our gals in marketing, this happened to be all gals. <laughs> we are actually a sales guy, by the way, there's literally one guy in our company. <laughs> it's Keenan. Oh, but, but we have um, these amazing marketers in our company where for the first time in my life as a sales professional, I am going to to Brady because she is a just a master hmm. of our buyer. She understands our buyer more intimately than I do, hmm. which is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I go to her and I take my messy sequences that are, you know, they say the right thing, maybe not in the right way. <laughs> and, you know, what's marketing great at? Saying things in the right way, right? Mm -hmm. And so I go to her and she's like, hmm, you know, you missed here because, you know, you're targeting this ICP, but really, Mm. you know, that's not really what they're thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. And she'll be like, think think this through. Think about what a CRO is thinking of versus what sales enabled is thinking of, what your VP of sales is thinking of. Like, what are they measured on, right? So she'll bring me back to the buyer every time Mm -hmm. and she will help to like, make sequences that were okay, like awesome, Mm. right? And that collaboration between us has changed everything in our outbound efforts. Mm -hmm. So if marketing wants to be credible to salespeople, they have to be part of creating that intimate knowledge of the buyer's world that salespeople are like, please teach me your ways. Right? <laughs> right. And the only way for them to do that a lot of times is to have the salespeople teach them in the first place. Hmm, right. Well, I mean, you heard it here first, audience. Rachel had a successful interaction with someone in marketing on her team and there was a positive outcome. It sounds like the sequence the sequences <laughs> got better and and it, everything worked out great. Okay. So, yeah. So it is possible. <laughs> uh, it starts with having a conversation. So pick up the phone to you know slack them, do whatever you got to do because they're there to help you. So uh, awesome. I want, to, I want to transition to our lightning round. A few questions I like to ask everybody, Rachel. First question, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? I feel like this is obvious, but gap selling. And <laughs> every salesperson needs to read gap selling and every marketer. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So marketers listening to check out gap selling. It talks a lot about these ideas that we've been talking about today and we'll link to that in the show notes. So what is your favorite home cooked meal made by you or someone in your family? My mom's spaghetti. Oh, any special, anything special with the recipe or the way that she does that? I don't know what she does. It's very (laughs) annoying because my kids don't like my spaghetti. They're just like, it's all right. Right. And they just rave about grandma's spaghetti. And I don't know what she's doing. (laughs) Got to get that recipe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What, what software tool or app could you not live without? LinkedIn. 
LinkedIn. Why? Count? Yeah, LinkedIn count? counts. Yeah. Why why <laughs> LinkedIn? Why LinkedIn for you, Rachel? You know, I mean, if you think about it, I because I am present on LinkedIn, I that's how I got my job with Keenan, hmm. right? Had I not had a presence on LinkedIn, that would have never happened for me. I have learned so much from people on this platform. I learn every day from them. And being a remote worker, being able to create kind of a community of sales co-workers for myself has hmm. helped me from being very lonely Yeah. Um, now that I work from home. So yeah. I love LinkedIn. Yeah, that's so true. It's so it keeps you connected. Even if you work remotely, it definitely makes you feel like you're a part of a community. So yeah, yeah that's cool. And it's how we met. We wouldn't be on doing this podcast if without LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn, it's linkedin.com for those that uh, don't know. So uh, <laughs> if you could go back in time... If you could go back in time 10 years and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Goodness, I would say be nicer to you. Okay, why give be nicer to you? Okay, <laughs> were you too hard on yourself? I, uh, for sure, I still am too hard on myself, but but I think, yeah, I would, I would tell my younger self to give herself a break mm -hmm. and stop trying to be perfect mm. and just, just keep doing what you're doing and it's enough and you're enough. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that message. So finally, how can my listeners find you online? Well, you could find me here on LinkedIn, Rachel May. If you want to know more about a sales guy, you can go to a salesguy.com. And, you know, that's the only place that I am really. Perfect. Yep. We'll link to your <laughs> LinkedIn profile. So if people want to connect with Rachel, highly recommended. Uh, she's doing a lot of great commenting and posting on there. That's how we got to know each other. And then uh, I'll link to a salesguy.com as well. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Rachel. Great conversation. We'll have to have you back on at some point soon. Okay. Perfect. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Thank it's you. So cool to meet you. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.